you know, what is my, what is, what am I going to do in response to what God is doing in my life? Maybe you got to ask yourself in what area, how can you, you may not be able to write a song, but you may be able to do something to glorify God. And uh, I think it's beautiful to see how, uh, how God works in different lives. I'm just realizing now that kids are leaving, but we're doing the Lord's Supper. They could have stayed, but, um, but we'll have a slide later. We'll just skip it, all right, and uh, dismissing them. But it is time for the Lord's Supper, and uh, I thought as we have engaged in scripture reading already, and then I had not heard George's song uh, until just now. I had read the words, and I wanted to hear it, and uh, I wanted to be able to meditate on it like, like, uh, like we have just now. I want to encourage you that when you think about Jesus, he may not be the savior you expected. I think that's the gist of the song. It's, it's, they wanted one thing, but God gave them what they needed. And God gives us what we need, and what we need is forgiveness of sins. And God sent his son into this world to save us from our sins, right? God with us, and, and so he is with us, and I want to encourage you that as we go to celebrate the Lord's Supper, again, the elements are in the back. If you haven't grabbed any, you can certainly, uh, in the table just there as you came in, uh, they were there. But uh, what I would like to do is just to start off our time uh, uh, with the passage of Scripture out of 1 Corinthians that just calls us to, I'm just realizing, sorry guys, I'm... Um, the passage of Scripture, yeah, that calls us to uh, think upon our life, think upon our fellowship with God's people, to think about how we approach this very serious text. It says here, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Ask yourself, are you in the same position? When Christina read uh, John chapter 6, I, we stopped the reading there. It was at a highlight, right? Uh, when Jesus returns, he'll bring all people to himself, and no wise will he cast them out. As the text in John goes on, it talks about Jesus saying the words that Georgia just sang, which is, you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood. And it was... A hard saying, the Bible says, for people to understand. And many of his disciples walked away and didn't follow him any longer. And then he went to his disciples and he said, do you want to leave as well? And Peter responds, Lord, this is a hard saying, but you have the words of life. And they did not walk away. They followed him. And Jesus was making a very clear and strong point that following him is not an easy road. It's not an easy thing to do. And so when we come to this text, uh, as Paul is writing to the Corinthians, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's, it's not a sacrament as much as the world thinks of as sacraments. It's, it's not just in the doing somehow it makes you somehow spiritually stronger. No, it's recognizing before you participate in the, in the bread and in the juice and recognizing what Jesus did on our behalf. And are you willing to profess that? Are you, or do you have faith in what Jesus Christ has done? It would literally be an offense to God for you to participate in a recognition of the remembrance of his son and what his son dying on the cross, 
for the, for the remission of our sins, the payment of our sins, and, and by his body and blood being on that cross as, as we celebrate here, for you to say, well, yeah, I'll just do it because that's what everybody expects me to do. Don't do it. Don't do it. But if you've come to faith in Christ and you know that your sins have been forgiven, this is a public way for you to profess that. And, uh, and so celebrate, that's why we call it celebrating the Lord's Supper. He goes on to say, But let a man examine himself, and so let, each of the, uh, eat, let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so that is what we are going to be doing in just a moment, but it is important for us to, to examine ourselves. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I take that text as saying that you are not discerning the body of Christ. We, as a church, are the body of Christ. The Corinthians were guilty of stepping on other people, of, of, of uh, gluttony and drunkenness as the, when people are going hungry. They were guilty of all these things. And he's saying, listen, that is the, the, the Lord's Supper is about fellowship, true fellowship in Christ. It's about identifying with what Christ has done. And he says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many, have, uh, many sleep. Uh, apparently, this is so serious in God's eyes that there are people who are doing it wrong, that they became sick, they even have died. And so I, I, we say this, every, well, frequently, really, to, to kind of just bring us into a sober mindset as we participate in this. So let's just pause for a minute. I'm just going uh, to pray. Uh, and I encourage you, I can't pray your words. I can't pray your confession. I can't pray your repentance. But I can certainly pray and, and lead you in that way. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this gathering that we have called church. We are the church and we are here to worship. You are showing your power in people's lives every single day. I thank you how you worked through uh, in, in George's life to write this song and to share it with us and to, and to help us see clearly that people expect you, people expect your son uh, to be who we want you to be and to, to abide by our terms, and you will have nothing of that. There is a way we are to come into, the, into your presence. There is a way for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that is one of recognizing who Jesus is and what he has done and who you are and your great love for us that you sent your one and only Son into the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we have the gospel, and it has set the majority of us free already from our sins. But Father, there are those who are still in need of salvation. And we pray, Lord, that even now as we, as we celebrate this meal, that they would be convicted of their sin, that they would repent of their sin, confess it to you, and come to faith in Christ. But until that po- point, Father, we just pray that you would withhold... Um, you, you would cause folks that are not in Christ to refrain from participating in this. But, Father, for all of, the, all of us who have come to faith and maybe struggling with still some aspect of sin in our lives, Lord, because we are in the process of maturing in our faith, we are, we are certainly in need of, of more maturing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to confess and to, and to repent of our sin 
knowing that it has already been atoned for on the cross of Christ. And knowing that his blood and his flesh were broken for us. And Father, we praise you for it. And we pray, Father, for the fellowship of believers. We pray, Lord, that as we gather here on Sundays and on Wednesdays and throughout the week in Bible studies and life groups and wherever your people may gather together in your name, we pray that we would always seek to love others as Christ loved them. He called out their sin, but he did not stop loving them. He cared for them in a way they needed to get cared for. And Father, we just pray that we would have that mindset amongst our body. May we seek to mend relationships. May we repent of the wrong that we've done to others. May we receive the, the willing uh, question of, will you forgive me? Will you help us to forgive others? So that when we participate in this meal, it is clearly a response to what you are doing in the lives of your people. So, Father, as we continue, we pray that you'd be glorified as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we, as we traditionally do, uh, we go to 1 Corinthians 11. I'll ask you just a reminder. We'll take the bread first. Make sure you don't pull off the wrong uh, one and spill the juice all over yourself. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And I love the following words. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have just proclaimed the Lord's death until he comes. Dead people don't come, right? Jesus Christ is resurrected. We celebrate that every Sunday. But certainly as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we have a Savior who came to save. And he has, he has died, been buried, has been risen again, has been ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, is our advocate before the Father. He is coming again to take all those who are his bride to him, and we can rejoice in that. It's a beautiful uh, beautiful picture that uh, God has given us in Scripture. So as we come now, I'm going to ask the musicians to come on back up, and, uh, and Aaron will lead us in another song. It's still a contemplative song, but it's talking about the truth of what we just observed. I pray that you would uh, sing along with us. continue in our, our sermon series on Matthew, the King and His Kingdom. And I want to thank Pastor Dave for doing an excellent job for last week, uh, covering uh, a very important part of uh, the story of Jesus. And that's his uh, 40 days in the wilderness, going through uh, temptations and trials, testing, and, uh, and coming through it uh, in 
having not sinned, having glorified the Father. And it's a beautiful uh, picture, again, in Scripture that gives us of our Lord and Savior. Today we're going to be looking at the dawn of the King. That's what I've entitled this message. It's from uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. And, and I don't know what you think about when you think about the dawn. Uh, we can think about it as, uh, as the sun just, you know, just rising in the hues of the morning. Uh, but really the dawn is, is it's, uh, another way of taking that term is uh, something that was not there is now there. The sun that was not there a few minutes ago is now present. We can bask in the glory of the sun and the warmth of the sun and knowing all that the sun gives us. Uh, but we're going to uh, talk about today the dawn of the king. Uh, he has gone from obscurity. Remember, his, his birth was recognized by angels, by shepherds, but for the most part it, was, it went unknown. Uh, God sent kings to him, and, and, and they gave great wealth to them. But remember what happened. He went down to Egypt, and, and he had to flee. Joseph and, and Mary took the baby, baby Jesus with them, and they fled down to Egypt, for, for, not for fear, but at the command of God, saying, hey, listen, Herod's doing some wicked things. And it all fulfilled Scripture. But for the most part, he, they come back from Egypt. They go up to the area of Galilee, and they just kind of like hang out there until Jesus is about 30 years old. He had an obscure upbringing. And we don't have a lot of details of that upbringing. But when John the Baptist came on the scene... And he started his repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He had this message that he was preaching. He would go to the Jordan River and he was baptizing people. And his message caught uh, the interest of many. And people would come and they would experience this baptism of repentance. Saying that, Lord, I want to get my life straight. I want to I I do the things that you're, you're uh, calling me to do. I want to, I want to grow in my faith. And then Jesus shows up in chapter 3 to get baptized by John. And, in, and John says, I have need to get baptized by you. Are you asking to be baptized for me? And Jesus says, it's, it's okay, John. Go ahead and baptize me because uh, this is fulfilling the will of God. And so as, as we went from there, we went from there to Jesus being in the wilderness. So uh, as we go through, and uh, starting in, in verse 4, it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Uh, when I went to Israel, Christine and I went to Israel in 1994, uh, our, our, uh, the leader of that group, one of my seminary professors, uh, Dr. Gordon Lobick, he said, listen, you need to gain an appreciation for the geography of Israel, for the terrain of Israel, because uh, this little country about the size of New Jersey is, is vastly different depending on which area you go, and it, and it helps make the Bible come to life. So I, I can't share all that with you, but I, I want to just uh, say that he says when, he, when he, uh, he departed to Galilee, I thought we'd just remind ourselves a little bit about what's going on visually. We're not going to spend a long time with this, but that little yellow diamond in the, in the middle is, is, I just put it somewhere on the Jordan River. I don't know where John the Baptist was baptizing, uh, but somewhere along in that nor- the northern body of water is the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, is also known as um, the Sea of Gennesaret. Right? It has multiple names. Uh, but if you if that's the northern body of water, and then you come down to the Dead Sea at the bottom, the line going through is the Jordan River. 
And so uh, that's basically, that was the, that's the foundational way of understanding Israel, right? Because everything uh, exists because you have to have water, right? So you've got to be the water. John was in the water. Jesus comes to him, and he's baptized. But then Jesus goes from there somewhere into the wilderness of Judea, right? I know it's pointing at the word Edomia, but it's actually, I'm, I'm pointing into the brown spot of the, of, of the uh, Judea desert. I'm assuming that was somewhere in there was Jesus, 40 days, being tested and tempted as, as Dave uh, challenged us with uh, last week. But then in this text, it says that he went, uh, he left for the area of Galilee. So Galilee is an area, right? The Sea of Galilee. But we know that he eventually ended up in Nazareth because, again, the text says that he left Nazareth. So I just wanted you to get an appreciation. We're talking the size of New Jersey. There's a lot of walking, a lot of traveling going on here. And, and so we go from the Jordan River to the, the, to the Judean uh, uh, desert uh, up to the, the area of Galilee. And it says, and leaving Galilee in verse 13, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. I hope you're enjoying your, your little instruction on geography, biblical geography, because there's a little bit more. And, but it, it's important for us to know it's there in the text, and we have to, so let's picture it some more. So we've already gone uh, up to Nazareth, but now we're told he goes to Capernaum. And I did not blow this up for the sake of just time, but Capernaum is this little city uh, on the north side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. It's that little, one of those little dots up there, Capernaum. And this is where Jesus went. Now, I, in case I don't mention this later, I want you to see that Jerusalem's all the way down in the south. That is the central place of Jewish worship. That is where the temple is. That is where, that is where God has established his, his, uh, the, the practice of the sacrifices and all those things, the daily sacrifices. Everything's happening in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem isn't even on, really, I mean, it's, uh, actually, technically, it is on the map. But as we, as we go, Jesus begins his ministry in Capernaum. And this is where he goes from obscurity to, uh, I would say, to his presence being known to the point where he becomes very popular and becomes famous, all right? And we'll look at that in the text a little bit later. So it goes on to say and that, that it might be fulfilled. He went up to Capernaum in the area of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So this is a lot of words here that Isaiah is writing. And, uh, but I, it's talking about the land of, of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, if I say that correctly. Uh, my pronunciation isn't always correct. But what is this all about? Because if you looked on the map, you would not see Zebulun and you would not see Naphtali. And so for a little bit of background, I thought I'd show you one more map, which is this. This is the, the it's not all of them, but the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob, right? We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And then those sons end up going out into Egypt, and, and then they become slaves. And then Moses comes along, and he is used by God through the Exodus to bring the, the people out of Egypt. And they, they come into the promised land after 40 years, not 40 days, but 40 years in the wilderness. And they come into the promised land, and by the time it's conquered, as much as it's going to get conquered, each tribe gets a portion of the land. 
And so we see that Zebulon, there in the purple, underlined in yellow, that's the area of Nazareth. And then where you see Naphtali, we actually see the city of Capernaum right, right underneath that, that yellow line. So this is Isaiah talking about a future time, and he's talking about Jesus. He's pointing forward and saying, listen, you, you, uh, let me go, let me go back. He says, you, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, right? There's something special that's going to happen. There was not anything really uniquely special about either of these tribes, other than they are one of the tribes of Israel. But he's saying, listen, these lands, which again, just to say, it's all pointing to the same thing, by the way of the sea, talking about the Sea of Galilee, Beyond the Jordan, which is a, uh, a term that people want to go east-west, I, I just want to go north, beyond the Jordan, right? Beyond the, the, the Sea of Galilee. The Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, this particular terminology is helping us understand that Galilee is not the center place of Jewish worship. Jerusalem is. There were certainly plenty of Jews up in uh, the Sea of Galilee area. But there is also a, a prominent presence of Gentiles. And if you think about the, the history of the world and the history of the different empires, if any empire was going to, from the north, was going to conquer Egypt, they had to come right through Israel, right? Let's look at that map again. Any issue, any area from the north, they weren't going to travel all the way through the desert on the right. They're going to go through the fertile land, and they're going to rob farmers of their crops, and they're going to do all the things. And so that, this area where God decided to put his people he put them there for both blessing and sorrow. Blessing as, as they proved faithful, sorrow as they proved faithless uh, or unfaithful. And so we, we see that this is this area that's going through. And so the Galilee of the Gentiles, there were, Gal- there were Gentiles throughout, I'm sure. But certainly majorly north and majorly south. And in Galilee, there's a, even a, an area off the Galilee that will be mentioned later that's highly uh, uh, highly. A, a Gentile influence, all right? So that's, that's, your, that's the, well, it's not the end. We'll look at some maps at the end of our sermon time here. But notice this. We're, he brings, he says, because this land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the people, there's a people there. We can never lose sight of God's love for people. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper. And we're not discerning the Lord, the body, the Lord's body. We're not, we're not recognizing that our brothers and sisters in Christ, they matter to us. But as, as Matthew is writing his gospel, he's saying, listen, um, I, we're, this, this, uh, this, this prophecy from this text out of Isaiah, it's continuing. And Isaiah is even pointing it out. But it's talking about the people. And he said, the people, one, they are sitting in darkness. And two, they are in the region and shadow of death. I do not think that Matthew, Isaiah, or anybody else who was teaching this is thinking that the people were literally in darkness. Or they were literally in the region or the shadow of death. I think even when David talks about uh, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and he knows God's presence. I mean, he, really, he was a warrior, and certainly he was acquainted with death, and he saw blood and death all the time. But I think even there, he's, he's saying it, he's not just literal. It's spiritual. There is a spiritual darkness that reigned over the land. 
It was a land, the spiritual darkness, it, it, it was, it's portrayed as a region of, and shadow of death. See, this is, this is what our world is today. Not ours as in believers. I'm saying the world that we live in, the people we interact with that don't know Jesus, they are in darkness. They are in the region and shadow of death. They do not know what we know. And God has commissioned us. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the ability to speak words of life, which are found in his word. And we can go to these people, these people, because it goes on to say that these people have seen a great light. It's the light of Jesus. It's the light of the gospel. It says that these people that, that, that sat in this region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. Dawn, the dawning of the light has come. They, they can see hope. They can see these people who were in one condition are now given the opportunity for life, for peace, peace with God, peace with their fellow man. But it's, it's this great light, and Jesus is that light. And as we are in the text of Matthew 4, we're in this transition from his obscurity to his popularity. And this is the, this is the, the avenue that, that, that God basically had Jesus go through. But it's all in fulfillment of Scripture. What we see from that text up to this point is that the dawn of the king brings light to our darkness. Um, I'm, I'm actually fighting tears, right? Because I don't want to get too emotional right now. I, I, I honestly, I got emotional at Georgia's song. I'm an emotional person, but I don't want my emotions to eclipse this statement. The dawn of the king brings light to our darkness. Have you, person, come to know the light of Christ in your life? We cannot miss the reality that people are still lost and in need of the gospel. We come here to worship if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're here to hear this message, that the dawn of the king, by Jesus coming on the scene, light is now available to you that was not available before you heard the name of Jesus. So as we go on in the text, we see some very familiar words. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is, this is, these are the words of John the Baptist. And we get the sense that Jesus is just picking up where John has left off. Right? We, we started off. When Jesus heard that, that John the Baptist was imprisoned, he, he, he went north. He left the area of Judea and went north and uh, ended up in Galilee, but it's the same message, word for word. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's just remember that Jesus, as the king, is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that, that is not of this world, as Jesus says before Pilate, just before his crucifixion. Because if it was of this, he said, if it was of this world, legions of angels would come. But we're saying because the king is present, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and he's saying because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says, repent. Backtrack two weeks ago in my last message, and we, we dealt with repentance. 
The idea of not just turning from your sin, but turning and pursuing God. Don't just stop doing something. Start doing something. Turn from your sin. Pursue God. Exercise the faith that God has given you. We are to repent. And as we consider that text, we can see that the dawn of the king brings truth to our lives. I, I, wanted, to con- I wanted you to consider this, this truth. If someone's repenting from something, something, they're saying, that's wrong. I want to do right. When the Word of God exposes your soul. In Sunday school today, I had a wonderful time with the teenagers, and we talked about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. She had three strikes against her. She was a Samaritan, which was... Uh, not recognized or not respected by the Jews. She was a woman, not respected by society. And she had, she says, uh, Jesus told her, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. So she was an outcast of outcasts. And, and she points to the Messiah and he says, I am he. And this truth that Jesus is the Messiah Jesus is the anointed one, the promised one, the deliverer, the promised seed. Whatever reference you want to use to talk about Jesus, the dawn, his dawning brings truth to our lives. It brought the truth to her lives that day. He, he didn't hold back. He exposed her sin right there. Just the two of them exposed them, and she went away with hope. And she told others about this man who told her about everything she'd ever done. And, and people came out. All these Samaritans came out. Will you stay with us for a couple days? And so Jesus did. And, and more hope and more understanding. And, the, and the, the presence of God and the truth of God that was the gospel is for all people, not just the Jews. And so the dawning of the king brought that into reality. And, and he brought truth to their lives. God brought truth to my life. I thought I was the, I, it turns out I was the, I believed myself to be the self-righteous one because I hadn't come to receive the righteousness of Christ in my life. God had to expose my sin in order for me to repent of it and come to faith in Christ. And I know I'm talking to a large group of people who have had the same experience. But once again, can I say, if you've never confessed your sin before a forgiving God, the dawning of the king brought truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It is, you have the ability to open God's word and allow God's word. I challenge the teenagers today. Would you pray that God would expose your sin? Would you pray that you would have God reveal to you what is the obstacle that's in your way to close fellowship with him? And when I ask for the teenagers, I'm asking for us. Would we ask a prayer? Would we say, God, would would you allow your truth, your word, to expose the sin of my life, to expose the lies that I'm believing? Because we know the truth will set us free. And that's what the, the, the dawning of the king, it brings truth to our lives and sets us free. As we go on in the text, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Uh, So uh, as we look here, the key word that I wanted to focus on is follow me. This is the idea of Jesus. He, He comes on the scene from obscurity, remember, 
and he's coming on the scene. Now, I mean, as you engage in the different Gospels, you can understand that Jesus was probably getting well-known. Peter and, and uh, Andrew uh, are, are more than likely aware of him, all right, aware of his teaching. But he, he looks at them, and he calls them and says, follow me. And what do they do? First-time obedience, parents. You ought to use this text to strengthen your parenting, right? First-time obedience, follow me. And what did they say? They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. What did he do? He called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's the idea of he, you know, he called them. It's the idea. He probably said the same thing. Follow me. We are familiar with these stories. But as we engage in these stories, we have to consider that the dawn of the king brings direction to our wanderings. They were fishermen. Do you think they woke up that particular morning thinking that they would have a life that's based in theology and in preaching and in teaching? They're fishermen. And that is who God used like the Samaritan woman who reached her town, the, the, the outcast of the outcast. These are fishermen, as far removed from Jerusalem as you could probably get and still be an Israelite, right? And, and they're up there, and they're surrounded by Gentiles, and, and God says, Jesus says, follow me. And they did. They didn't question his call upon their life. The dawning of Jesus, when Jesus arrives... It brought direction to Peter and Andrew and James and John. And, and, and you know what? They, I, we don't know what was going on in their life. But we know what's going on in ours. And so when we consider this, this challenge for us, if we, are, if we lack direction, where do we go? Well, certainly we can go to God's Word. But we need to go to it in faith. We need to go with it, to it, knowing that God is the one who gave this to us to give us direction. Because as we talked about two weeks ago, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. Even we as believers are prone to drift. And the book of Hebrews says that we are, we are those, that's what we do. We, we drift if we don't stay focused on, on this salvation. The author of Hebrews says, how should we neglect so great a salvation? If we neglect it, we drift. Believers, don't neglect your salvation. Embrace it. Live it. Teach it and live it some more. Because the dawning of the king will bring direction. You want to know which way to go? Ask God. Give him time to do his work. Even though he trans transcends time, he, you, he works in time, our time, to mold us, mature us, shape us, teach us, bringing other people in. St let's stop our wanderings and let's pursue God and seek his direction. As we go on in the text, uh, we see the last few verses here. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. 
There's a lot going on in this text, and I just want to highlight, I want to make it simple for you first. First of all is this. Jesus went teaching, preaching, and healing. Pretty much sums up his ministry, don't you think? Ultimately culminating in dying on the cross, resurrecting, and ascending into heaven, and all the things we've already talked about. But Jesus went about all Galilee. Uh, The other thing I want to highlight here is as as he's teaching, preaching, and healing, uh, Matthew wants to point out something. He says, that he went about all Galilee. We're going to look at some maps here in a second. All right? He taught. But he also healed all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease. And his fame went through all Syria. And, and people in response brought to him all kinds of sick people. That word all is used so many different times. It's not Matthew stuttering. It's Matthew making a point. There is something significant t- t- taking place here. But I think by him, him doing it this way, it brings a lot of time into a very short focus and a very few verses. And he's saying, this is what Jesus was doing. Teaching, preaching, and healing, and people responded. It says that when he was doing this, uh, the healing stuff, uh, the, uh, the, his ministry of healing, notice, I, wanted to, I, paused, I just want to pause here, because they were afflicted. I mean, I know, I know people in this room that are struggling with, uh, with physical ailments, right? I mean, and, and so I would say we're afflicted in that sense. But notice the severity of the affliction. Various diseases and torments, all right? Are you tormented? I mean, I don't know exactly what Matthew may have had in mind in the, with that word, but I'm thinking to myself, I know too many people who are tormented from their past, who are tormented by things that were out of their control, who were tormented, and then we call it PTSD. There's all kinds of different things that come on the scene, right? We all deal with various diseases. Some of us deal with torments. And those who were demon-possessed, do we believe that? In 21st century America, do we believe that? Well, maybe we ought to go to 21st century Africa or 21st century China, where it is a little bit more prevalent but yes, demon possession still happens today. So there, this is still a reality in our day and age. We still have epileptics and we still have paralytics. We have all these people. And Jesus healed them. And as we talked about the, the, the excuse me, as we, as we had the scripture reading earlier that Christina read for us. And, and you remember his rebuke to the people. You're not coming because you're growing in your understanding of my ministry and my message. You're going because you saw the feeding of the 5,000, which was really probably like 10 or 15,000 because 5,000 was just the men. But he says, Listen, you're not, you, didn't, you, you saw that miraculous thing. You want to see a spectacle. You want me to do it again. It's like going to Vegas and seeing a show. Right? It's on every night. Well, we're here, Jesus. We need a new show. What time are you going to show? He says, no, that's not what we're about. He says, that's not what I'm about and my disciples are about. We're about the message of the gospel. And Jesus used the healing of all these people to demonstrate that he is the one with power to heal. No one else could do this. All these things. And so as, as I was thinking about this, the dawn of the king brings power to our weakness. Now, I'm not saying that by coming to faith in Christ, your, your ailments are all going to be cured. We know, that not, we know that to not be true, okay? Uh, or that we know that to be true. That just because you get 
get saved doesn't mean you're going to get healed. That's, although, do I believe that God still heals today? I do. I pray for it all the time, don't you? And when someone uh, has an aneurysm that just disappears, that's what happened to a young lady in my college group when I was a brand new Christian. Uh, she went in for a, a surgery, and they did one last check before, and it was gone. We had been praying fervently. We believe that was the hand of God and His timing, not ours. But the dawn of the king brings power to our weakness. We have all these things in our world. But listen, let's talk about it a little bit more generally in understanding. There are things going on in your lives and in the lives of those you love and those that you're associated with that Jesus needs to be brought onto the scene. Because when he comes on the scene, there is power to overcome weakness. Remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? He says he prayed for it three times that it would be removed from him. And Jesus tells him, my grace is sufficient. He says that his, in, in, in Paul's weakness, God is powerful. In our weakness, God is powerful. You want to get in touch with the power of God? Humble yourselves. Recognize that your weakness is just that and embrace your weakness. And God will do amazing things in your life. So the dawn of the king brings power to our weaknesses. So as we just uh, look, uh, we, I wanted to, one last thing. This is going back to the geography lesson, and then we'll, we'll sum it up with a few challenges. All right. Notice here in verse 24, it says, Then his fame went throughout all Syria. I don't know about you, but I had to look at a map to see where Syria was. So there's Syria up in the north. Now, we don't know exactly how far it went. This is a map generalizing the areas, right? But we see the progression of where Jesus went. But now we see the impact upon Jesus in in his community. He went to Syria. Then the text says, great multitudes followed him from Galilee. So that's the area that we know. We've already been talking about. It says from from Decapolis. Well, what's that? Well, that's a, a group of 10 cities that is over to the east of the Jordan, right? Decapolis there. It says that his fame went that way, that direction. It says it went to Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So we know Jerusalem and Judea are in the south. We, if you know, please know, learn your geography. It really helps you understand things, right? Beyond the Jordan, I think that's more of a catch-all. It's beyond, right? Jordan's a long thing. It went north, it went south, it went east, it went west. The fame of Jesus went out because of the work that he was doing. But they were signs. Signs to authenticate the messenger that he is the Savior. So the dawn of the king brings light to our darkness, brings truth to our lives. It brings direction to our wanderings, and it brings power to our weakness. This is what Jesus, dawning in your life, does. And we invite you to come to faith. And we invite you to exercise your faith. And and see how Jesus brings light and truth and direction and power. When we have a testimony service, this is what we're talking about. Jesus came on the scene and all this happened. But there's one more I want to challenge you with. The dawn of the kings brings people to our doorstep. If you looked at the end there, it said when he healed them, that all, he became famous throughout all those places. So I thought I'd show you one more map today. We believe that God has placed us here for New England. 
certainly our community, but let's just look broader for a moment. We have Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. We are not going to reach them maybe specifically just from this building. But as your lives are nurtured here, and as you mature in your faith, God is going to have you, more than likely, travel to these places in business, and in life, and in vacation. And you're going to go out, and you're going to bring the gospel with you. Because when we recognize the dawning of the king in our life and in the body of our believers, it brings people to our doorstep. There are people within. There are so many new people visiting our church family. And our desire is that the visitors who come in, who would be our guests, would become our family. That's what the dawning of the king does. It brings people to our doorstep for God's purposes, not for our own. So with that in mind, I'd ask you to say, to understand this. The king has arrived. Has his light exposed your darkness? Has his truth exposed your lies? Have you responded to his call to follow him, which means to go in the direction that is best for you, which will also glorify God? Will you submit to him in faith? And finally, will you follow him in faith? We exist to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ until he returns. Submit to him. If you're an unbeliever today, we don't mean that to be derogatory. It's just a, a, a statement of your spiritual condition in Christ. You're an unbeliever. You need to come to faith. But the maturing process for every believer is, will you follow him in that very faith that you proclaim through participating in the Lord's Supper? And through the faith that, has, that causes you to walk through these doors every Sunday. The dawn of the king calls for a response. How will you respond to your king this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word to change lives. We thank you for the consistency of your word. It has a consistent message. The prophets proclaimed it. You have brought it all together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The New Testament continues to proclaim the reality that sin needs a Savior. And all of this, all of what we talked about, is all centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for you sending your Son to be it's a substitute for us on that cross to pay for our sins. And if, no one, if someone here has not come to faith in that, we'd, I ask them to just picture themselves on that cross. Or the threat of being hung on that cross, and Jesus says, no, I'll take your place. And he dies for your sins. Lord, I pray that you'd bring new faith this morning. I pray that you'd bring confirmation of faith in other lives. So many people share a testimony of how they thought they were saved. They, maybe they were saved, but they, they, they understand by coming to the, the stark reality of what Jesus did on the cross. And when they recognize their own sin, that somehow it becomes more real to them. And they profess faith yet again. And so, Father, we pray for faith 
to be a reality in the lives of each and every one in this room. And so, Father, we pray that as we consider what response we might have to the entrance of Jesus, certainly in the, in the day and age that Matthew is writing about, but in the reality that Jesus has made his entrance into our life, whether as king uh, that we are worshiping or whether as king who we are rejecting, Father, Jesus is on the scene. We thank you for that good news, and we pray that your people would respond in faith. And we pray that you'd receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.